Last time on Full Flaps, we left keen golfer Red Arrow's Synchro Pair Leader, Squadron Leader Dave Thomas, about to take the team into a manoeuvre high over St Andrews in Scotland, during a display to mark the 250th anniversary of the Royal and Ancient, the home of golf. But had Dave, who knew all about aerials, having joined the RAF as a telecoms engineer, had he overlooked one thing, the Scottish weather. There'd been clear blue sky when the Reds began their display, but Scotland has a secret weapon, the Scottish Har, a mist that rolls in from the sea, enveloping everything in its path. Was Dave's mind more on the black tie dinner that was to come and perhaps getting a round in at this hallowed club? And I don't mean buying the drinks. Instead of flying the goose, was Dave dreaming of getting an albatross to try and reduce his spiralling handicap? Was his head in the clouds? It was about to be. Could Dave get his team out of the rough or were they about to be bunkered? Welcome to Full Flaps Part 2, taking the rough with the smooth. And once again, for extra authenticity, our hero speaks to us as if he's actually flying and on the RT. Smack on. So we split into the second half. We do we do a full split into the second half. So we come out of a kind of a looping maneuver into a bit of a cast. It looks like a palm tree split. So oh, yeah. eight and nine come down with six. And then we do the dipper pass, and then six and uh, six and seven go out for the heart. So I'm ring out for the heart. I say to the boss, six is staying full. I am going to go for the heart. So we come in on the crowd front. So we're pointing straight at the crowd, and from about. I think a mile away. So we pull up into the heart and we go in the cloud. No. And I was thinking, <laughs> no. where, where no. did that come from? And it was kind of in and out of layers. I'm thinking, uh. oh my, oh, oh my, oh my, 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 this is not good. This is not good. So it's, you're kind of in the vertical. So six, I'm here and seven's here. We're kind of in and out of cloud. About two miles away, nines pulled up to spear the heart so they they pull up and they kind of spear the heart i think this is, not, this is a disaster this is a disaster so we're in that so we kind of continue the maneuver in and out of layers i think this is i am going to get sent to siberian shot no way this is bad this is bad so we we seven can see me and that's the contract he has to see me i can we can see the smoke so i think oh this is just about okay, it's not ideal. I'm thinking, poor nine, this is there's no way nine's gonna see the heart, never mind fear it. I think, oh my god, oh my god, end of career. So continue we continue the show without events. And um I'm just thinking this is it, you know, I'm just gonna I'm I'm off, you know. So I said to ten before we went to the dinner, you know, how 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 was the heart? <laughs> how was the heart? And he said, it was fine, it was fine, it's fine, what is look look great. I was like, oh god, You've got, you you have no idea how many light years I lost in my life. <laughs> ten seconds of uh, Dave, it, it, it can change it can change quickly, you know. And um, it's the Scottish hard. That's what they call it, isn't it? Scottish hard. I believe. Dave, it seems like uh, it's enormously stressful being a Red Arrows pilot. It, it um, 
it's very enjoyable yeah but it is you feel the pressure roy um you know i i got i i, I got nervous before every show you know i you know probably didn't admit that to the rest of the boys but i did i got yeah. you know it's like that um it's probably syndrome of like being found out kind of the, the being found out syndrome it's probably a name for it but it's like i'm gonna get it i can't you know i'm not gonna be able to do this you know this is the day <laughs> this is the day where i'm gonna gonna forget it all and but, but you, yeah you, before even after those thousands of hours of flying which you've done yeah and it, yeah every, second every and third show year, I got, wow yeah every show i got it's probably probably healthy nerves yeah but i definitely definitely felt nervous before we launched off um because technically it was i found it quite challenging to fly to, to be to be in the team yeah um but you you definitely felt it you know i definitely felt it when we were at the big shows like uh fairford react yeah where you're there and the crowd are like 20 yards away line line in the fence and you're starting up packing out down to the runway and they're just going nuts. You know, it's just like, it's like being like, it's like being uh, scouting for girls. You know? It's like unbelievable. Yeah. That's, that's never happened to scouting for girls. We get what you mean. Yeah. Maybe back in the day. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just like, you can see them and it's quite emotional. You know, you think hey, we're definitely, you know, I'm, I'm definitely up for this. And what? they're, that's probably the best shows, I think, when the crowd are there and you can see the reaction you're getting. So what, what are your best shows, your best moments or memories with the Reds? So, um, so in each year, if I've got, if we've got, the, I don't know how, how long we've got. Have we got the time? Yes, in we've each, got forever. Each, we, we can. <laughs> it's basically when you tell us you have to go to the toilet or leave. <laughs> That's generally how our last guest kept going. Are we done yet? Are we done yet? And then, then Rob just kept carrying on asking questions. <laughs> so in each year, so let let's let. So in each year, I mean. In each year, there's always a highlight, isn't there? But when I first joined the team, imagine I come from the Harrier. Yep. I was a QI. Um, I kind of, I got to where I thought I could get to in the Harrier. I was kind of, kind of in a good place, really. And then you get to the Reds and you're like, ground zero. It's just like, yeah. you are nobody, Mr. Nobody again. And you're in charge of, you are in charge of bags for the team. So when the, the boys go away and the girls go away, you're in charge of getting their bags from A to B. That is your job. Oh and if you get it wrong, it is, it is not good. But so you literally good, are right? right back at the start. You're carrying the bags. You are, you're, yeah. yeah, it is yeah. literally. You are, you're a back. Yeah. So our, our first push to like away was the Jersey air show. Yeah. Uh, the Battle of Britain weekend. So the, the boys kind of luggage goes in a hurt down there or, um, but in the jet, you can carry you can carry a small bag, and in your first and second year, you normally get half half of a, the bag, half of the storage if you like, and then your third year you get the whole storage. So you get quite a lot in your third year. But in the first year, you get half. All right. But as a <laughs> as a new guy, as a new guy, you get half of a half. <laughs> so so basically... I, I, yeah, a, a pair a pair of underpants. And then start pushing it. Are we still talking about your so, best memories here? I'm dreading the worst. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to kind of get a bit area of context here. Right. So when you join the team, then we'll we'll work up. I okay. promise you. So, so the first push to Jersey, I've kind of forgotten about the technical detail of half a half, and I kind of come with quite a big bag, which I've forgotten to give to somebody to pack yeah. in the jet. And we're briefing to get a Jersey, and one of the engineers comes in. Oh, we haven't got the bag for FNG 
DT, like me. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> so I had to get my bag, which was ceremoniously unpacked, put in a clear poly bag and just stuffed <laughs> in the jet. And I'm, I'm arrived at the Jersey International Air Show with my possessions in a clear plastic bag for everyone to see. So that's kind of, welcome to the Red Arrows. Um, I was at, arriving in the Hawk. Yeah. With your with a bag of stuff. Like, yeah. Like a bag it was, of shopping. It was in the Hawk. In the Hawk. It was in the Hawk. I yeah, love it was that. in a, it's in like a, a stowage, if you like, but it was kind of not, not very cool. Yeah. Um, so in, in 2002, you may remember it was the Queen's um, Golden Jubilee. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So we flew down the Mall uh, oh. with Concorde. Oh, wow. So, so if you look at the footage, I'm on the right-hand side. Um with uh, white white smoke so that was so we did a practice over the wash area just off norfolk kind of way with concord uh, a few days before and then we did it down the mile which was just you know it's just incredible to do these things and yeah one minute you're looking at the boss for the references and then the formation and then you're looking at concord and you think this is just <laughs> surreal you know it's just amazing it's just not happening you know yeah. and then I, I saw nothing of the mile not i saw nothing of the mile <laughs> And then, because um, I was just looking at Concord, I think, I best not crash. This is not good if I hit this thing. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good. Um, don't hit Concord. Um, and, and it was quite bumpy as well, because in the practice, we were kind of what Concord and the team. Uh, and then for the fly pass, you can imagine we were last. So there was all the all the heavies, all the fighters, all the, like the helos. You know, everyone was going in front of us down the mile. And the, the air was quite turbulent. So we were in this kind of bumpy air. And I was like, think this is really, really bumping around. And it was, so Concorde brought it down a little bit just to get some clear air, but he couldn't go any lower. So, But it was still pretty bumpy down the mile. And then he just pulled off and then went and landed at Heathrow. So um, just seeing this thing just planned for him, which is incredible. Um, we went to Canada in 2002 to play at the Toronto Air Show. Getting the jet across uh, the Atlantic was uh, interesting. Um Displaying at big shows like Riot, Duxford, uh, the Great North Run. I'm originally from Newcastle, so displaying at the Great North Run. Um, that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. 2003, um, I was seven, so we went to uh, Lankawi. Uh, that was a big journey to get out there. Um, we displayed on the way home all places like uh, the Jumeirah Beach at the Burj Al Arab, uh, Bangkok International. Uh, the Crown Prince, Bahrain, Qatar. Uh, we displayed at the Pyramid Giza wow. in Egypt. Wow. Um, I, it's just, you know, yeah. but normally, it, you know, I think uh, Rob asked a question about what we've got in the aeroplane. So we've got, um, I think I might have them here, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. So normally we carry these maps. Yep. Which that are is tiny. That's about the size, for, because obviously people can't see this, of a small notepad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like an A6 size, I guess. Yeah, so it's a yeah. small um the small map, fifty thousand map with the display site drawn on, carefully planned. Uh but when we got to Cairo there were no maps. There was no there was no fifty thousand so we hand I think we hand drew the map for the <laughs> pyramids to kind of give Brilliant. us some idea. So, you know, it's just surreal. Um and then two thousand seven, uh sorry, two thousand and four I was six. So, uh, you know, lead, leading Jippo uh, is six, and uh, it was the 40th display season of the team that year. We didn't think there would be a 50th. Um, generally, we didn't mm -hmm. think there would be a 50 because of the life of the Hawk, but obviously they've got 
they've got some life out the hawk now, which I think is going on until 2030, I think, the, yeah. the aeroplanes, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Um, and we did some big shows that year, but we also did a fly past uh, for the 60th anniversary of the D-Day landings over Aramanche. Oh, yeah. Um, big, 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 uh, a big national tasking uh, queen. Uh, there was 20-odd heads of state. Um, the um, we, we launched from Bournemouth, and I, I think that week we also met uh, Lee Jones, who oh. was the original leader of the team, and he, he came out. You know, he, he, he doesn't often come to Red Arrow's functions, but he did that day, and uh, he spent the afternoon with the team, which was just amazing to meet this man. You know, you talk about... Lee Jones, uh, you know, John Hutchinson, you had on your first podcast there. Yeah. You know, I remember him bringing Concord into Newcastle in 1982, and I was 14 <laughs> thinking, this is just incredible. You know, and he was flying it. <laughs> Raymond Baxter, you know, you know, met Raymond Baxter. But anyway, on the day for Aramanche, um, we launched from Bournemouth, and inevitably the heads of state were running late getting to <sighs> the, the beach, of the, you know, the area. So we were all holding out over the channel and uh, BBMF, French Mirages, the Reds. It's quite a big kind of formation holding. And because of time with it, you know, we're running out of fuel a bit. So uh, the decision was we we're going to divert to Cherbourg instead of go back to Bournemouth. So we flew over Aramanche. Again, I didn't see much of it, but um, my grandfather was there on day two of the D-Day landings uh, back oh, in the wow. day. And Incredible. He never, he never spoke about it while he was alive. Um I never knew while he was living. I only found out afterwards. And I was quite emotional, you know, flying over the beach that day. It was quite a big, militarily, that was a big thing for me to do, to be part of that. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we finished the, the fly pass and then we, we landed at Cherbourg and um, we were all taxing in. The BBMF, I think, landed behind us. And uh, one of the BBMF pilots said, you know, funny, it's funny, lads, you know, 60th the day the British arrived back in France unannounced. How funny is that? It's really interesting, Dave, to hear how much those different events mean to you for what the events stand for and, and the crowds and, and who you're displaying to. Because, as you said to us earlier, your mind is so much on the job and positioning with the leader in a way it's really interesting to hear that the event itself affects you emotionally yeah huge shows you know um we displayed it displayed at kemble many times and you know it's a small air show um i'm not sure if it's still going you know but that that was the base of the red arrows back in the day and Mm. um there there at the show would be some of the original team if not the founding members yeah. And you you feel you feel you know their their soul if you like because you're there <laughs> representing not only your, your nation but you're also re- representing them and what they stood for back you know hard in those days you know so you, you get you get to meet them afterwards and they wouldn't give much away they they would all, <laughs> they would they would give us you know they would say oh in our day it was much lower. And the thing well, was, was much, much better, you know. It was just, they, they would always like put, put, you know, but there would be a glint in their eye. And um, I, I also flew with um, a guy called Brian Hos- Hoskins, uh, who was the leader of the team when the the era, the, uh, the formation changed from um, Nats to Hawks. So he he took Nats mm. one 
to one place, the British aerospace, and they brought brought a hawk back, and then they flew in the flew in the hawk from I think 1979. But um, every year at Scampton, there would be a leaders conference where ex leaders would be invited up, and they would see the team, and they would talk about the progress of the team, and the boss would showcase you know a day in the res, and they would fly with us. And I, I, I flew with again. I knew of, I knew of, uh, Brian's legacy from watching documentaries and in awe of this guy, you know, in awe of this guy. And um, he was in my backseat one day and we came out of this, the split for the second half. I was seven and I, I was just talking him around the show and I says, Oh, we're, we're going to go down the line now for the, the double rolls, Brian. He says, Oh yes, we invented those. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. I said, you, you have control, mate. You know, you fly if you want to. <laughs> um, you talked about flying around the world a lot. Is there much um, com- competition between national teams? Um, I mean, you, I remember say, a lot of saying the um, the Blue Angels, for example, they fly really, really close, probably much closer than the Reds, but they never change their formation in front of the crowd. They always disappear somewhere else, change their formation and come back. And I think that's one of the, the wonderful things about the Red Arrows is the constant formation changes. How, how, do, you, how do the Red Arrows see themselves internationally without well, being too no well <laughs> we, 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 we have an opinion but you know so <laughs> everyone else you know so um there's a, there's a really healthy competition and invariably and it is a really healthy healthy competition uh, and you'd meet them invariably around the the circuit and you have a great laugh with these guys you know just yeah. fantastic talking about flying talking about what we've been up to you know rubbing each other about the show and the Canadians, you know, we when we went to Toronto, we flew with the Canadian, uh, the Snowbirds. You know, we we they flew in our back seats one to nine. So Red one flew with their one, and then I flew with two, uh, the Snowbird two, Marcia, and then we opened the show, and then we flew with them, and we closed the show one to nine. So we swapped swapped positions if you like. So yeah, the um, there's a little healthy rivalry, but the different aeroplanes do different things. You know, the Italians do the French. We we all do different things because the aeroplane can can achieve that. And in 2003, yeah, I was seven. So 2003, we just finished in Cyprus. So we're just coming out with our gleaming red suits, thinking <laughs> we're the best in the world. And we go to it was the French's the Patrie de France's 50th anniversary in Salon, Provence. So we went from Cyprus to Salon yeah. in, in, I think, two goes. So as we arrive in Salon, it's a big, this is a big deal for the French, yeah. uh, a, real, a real big deal this, this, this weekend. I'll put some context. So we arrive at the air show, we think, <laughs> look at all these teams. This is like, this is like the World Cup. This is unbelievable. <laughs> We cannot lose. You know, we have to, we have to we have to up the game here, guys. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of testosterone flying around here. So we displayed the Saturday and the Sunday. And to put some context on what how big it was, so on the Saturday night they had a TV studio set up at the base with their the equivalent of their French Michael Parkinson doing a live show prime time with a whole team and the history it was a really we we went we went there but um it was a really big weekend for 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 the, for the french team and um we were walking um we got invited to their kind of motorhome if you like after the sunday show just to shake hands and say bye-bye and uh, this this guy just pulled me aside and said you you guys you're the you're, you're the best you guys the reds and i thought well 
I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that as a compliment from uh, from French a French <laughs> fellow on his uh, on his home turf. You know, so it, we, we all have healthy rivalries, but it's uh, very very friendly. There was a, there was an occasion, Dave, where um, it may be apocryphal, but I, I think it's true, and I think it was in the earlier days of the Reds when they were displaying at a French air show, and uh, obviously the Patouille were there as well as the as the host team. And when the Reds came on, the French commentator said, and now for the best aerobatic team in the world, the Red Arrows, which must have gone hey. like, down like a lead balloon. <laughs> probably. probably. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd went, the, dart, the darts have hung in the uh, yeah, yeah. island, tumbleweed. <laughs> but talking about the French, so another true story, 2000, this is true, okay? So 2000 well, so was that. and 2006. No, 2004. 2004, I was six. And we were we were displaying in East Fortune, which is a small show to the due east of uh, Edinburgh. So we're parked at Edinburgh, display East Fortune, lad Edinburgh. We spend the night at Edinburgh. The next day, the plan is to go from Edinburgh, transit to Brise, display the British Grand Prix, land Brise, turn the jets, fill them, and then go to Paris, because it's uh, Entente Cordiale, Bastille Day, uh, that next week. And we were to fly down the Champs-Élysées, just like they've done this week. Mm. I think they've just yep. done it, yeah. So it was yeah. the same thing. Great. Fantastic. And we did it on our own, and the Patrouille followed. Uh, Patrouille first, and we followed. It was uh, Chirac and Blair were their prime ministers and presidents, respective. So we started the Jets and his fortune, and one of the jets was broken, so we had to leave it there, which is not good, bearing in mind where we're going. Um, quick quick chit-chat amongst the boys, and the plan was that I was going to do the show at Silverstone, land at Bryce, and then go back to Edinburgh with somebody else. A road team was launched from Scampton to fix the jet, and then we were going to take two jets to, to Paris and land in the daytime because we weren't, we weren't night current. That means we couldn't legally fly at night because we didn't have our night currency we had to be on the ground by civil twilight <laughs> which was about five past ten so uh so goes at gerda bryce display the british grand prix fantastic lines bracket bryce and then i go back to edinburgh uh with a guy called Cy si stevens who was i think through uh, i think he was five red five so we're waiting around for this jet and we like have a timeline going you know, we have to leave Edinburgh, have to leave Edinburgh by this time to go supersonic as you know as fast as we can, straight line, <laughs> land land Paris. There's no there's no messing about here, boys. So the clock was kind of ticking on and we, we launched and we, we landed at, I think it was Le Bourget and we were being vectored by a very, very um, hysterical French air traffic <laughs> controller because we were below the approach path for Paris Charles de Gaulle. We didn't really fly and control their space that much. It was like, you must turn left. You must turn left. You are turning left. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Definitely turning left. Promise you. Was this so as a pair? Anyway. Was this as a, a pair? pair? Yeah. Yeah. So we land as a pair. So we get to the hotel for 11 o'clock, I think, that night. Bearing in mind, we start at 8. So it's quite a long day. And then the next morning, the boss wanted to have a quick recce of the Champs-Élysées. So I'm in the back of the boss's jet now on a Saturday morning flying down the Champs-Élysées with the white smoke on. It's just like you can't make it up, you know. <laughs> so on, on the day, 
So on the day we launched from Le Bourget, and then we're in a bit of a holding pattern. We get called forward for get called forward for the fly past, and Red Ten is stood with uh, in the tent with all the VIPs, and we kind of we kind of start off at a certain altitude over the um, the Arc de Triomphe, and then um, there must have been some form of pressure change or something because we ended up um, quite quite low over the Louvre. I think it seems to remember we had to. Pull up for the Louvre, I think. The Louvre kind of, Gosh. It was definitely adjacent. So anyway, apparently, <laughs> apparently Chirac just looked at Blair with one of those raised eyebrows because we were we were lower we were lower than the French that day. But there you go. Brilliant. What was I to know? I was just following the leader. No. So two thousand and four, Eastbourne. Was that the year uh, a light aircraft strayed into the airspace and you had to? Break off the show mid display. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's so. I remember that really well. It was that we were in a left hand bend, I think in Concord, um, first half. And I was going to touch on this earlier when he talked about what happens if. And um, yeah. yeah, I remember seeing. So I was six, and I remember seeing the kind of the lights of the Cessna um, just out of my periphery, and the bot the boss kind of. Terminated the show. Um, what was the instruction? How, how does that actually happen? Um, well, we, we, we just flew, we flew the bend. We kind of tightened the bend slightly. Then we flew, he got us into a, a, a different formation. Uh, I think it was Nine Arrow, um, which we're used to flying about in. And so that was A, a put the formation safe and B, get us into something we know and it's easy to manoeuvre. And meanwhile, the Cessna's disappeared down the crowd line probably not read the no tams um so he was I mean, there's nowhere there's there's nowhere for them to hide because you know he's probably got ten thousand photographs of his registration so there's no there's no way can deny it he was definitely there mm. so yeah it was quite it's quite you know it's quite hairy because it's quite concord was quite a long formation and we're in a bend and we're going belly up to the crowd if you like so um the boss saw it really early and um quite quite a moment because that stopped the show for about um five minutes or so but that that cost us fuel because we're so far from bournemouth to make it back so we had to kind of terminate the show a little bit early but yeah there's moments like that we think what was the leader's call over the rt the moment he saw that light aircraft i think he just said there's something like there's an intruder we have an intruder um and somebody else said they'd seen it 10 obviously on the radio as well so that was it was over it was over in two or three seconds, Rob. You know, the, the kind of the chit chat. We we could all, we all got um, an idea pretty quickly that 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 had happened. Again, this yeah. is this comes back to kind of the intuition. Really, you, you can kind of pick up very quickly when it's not going well. Um, so yeah, the boss just put the thing safe, and um, we kind of regrouped. Um, but that cost us fuel, so that was Gosh. the end of the show, pretty much. I think we just blew a first half. I think. Wow. Fantastic. Right. Uh, anyone else got anything else? Yes, we... I've, got, I've got an inane, an inane question, Dave. Um, because whenever I listen to the Arrows, the Reds, at an air show, and we get the... Uh, we can hear Red One over the tannoy as a feed, I always laugh because <laughs> the slightly weird red one speak always makes me think of that carling black label advert and, <laughs> and those guys are in the damn busters and he takes off his yeah. uh, he takes off his yeah. mask and he still sounds the same <laughs> I did wonder, 
when yeah. you're red one, do you just speak like that all the time? <laughs> funnily enough, funnily enough, he, he does, you know, he does. He's just like, he's just like, um, but the, uh, the, yeah, the art, the RT does get slightly enthusiastic from time to time. It's not meant to, but it does. Yeah, it's funny. It does make me smile. It's lovely. It's a, yeah, it makes, make, used to make me smile. Trust me, I was there. <laughs> I think is it, is it one of the one of the synchros. I think currently it might be John Bond. I think his name is who. I think he's he's quite vocal, isn't he? When they're doing some of their synchro maneuvers, I just would love to ask you a little bit more about the synchro pair and what it meant to be to move on to the synchro pair. You start off at seven, and then the following year you're the leader of the synchro pair. Is that a huge accolade? Yeah, I mean, I was again, you know, given you know, given my back, you know, for guys listening to this you know you as a guy from newcastle without any you know my dad was a policeman my mum worked in a school you know like no flying kind of pedigree if you like to, to kind of get into these positions is just unreal so i became yeah i was chosen as seven to miles goal and six um so we were a pair and then the natural regression is to step up and then you choose well you have you have an influence on who you'd like to be uh, your deputy so yeah you have a discussion about that um which is quite a hard decision again itself but yeah to, to step up from there are different roles so seven seven is uh quite a dynamic role as as a first job is not not hit six that, that's, <laughs> rule. That's, a, that's a damn good way to, to <laughs> run that job i think that hasn't that's always rule number one in yeah. practice has it didn't mike Lane <laughs> rule one yeah yeah rule one rule two whilst he's doing that don't hit the ground that's rule two <laughs> and then there's all the other rules about uh separation <laughs> and uh, you know what we're authorized to do so that's kind of the big picture rules. Um, what's the, so what's yeah, the closest six and seven come to each other in the opposition? 100 feet. 100 feet. 100 feet apart Horizon from each other? Horizontally? Yeah, laterally, yeah. Naturally, 100 yeah. feet. So, so how we'd calibrate that, oh, this is nothing to tell you. There's no measurement in the aeroplane. So um, normally the runways are 100 feet wide. So in the workup between seven and six, where you're literally just pointing at each other down the line, constantly just getting used to the picture six would fly down one edge and seven would fly down the other edge and then seven would calibrate their eyes to six to find out what that looks like um mm. so you spend quite a long time kind of calibrating what the picture looks like for the, the miss if you are and then um seven's other job is to um make what's known as the fudge have you heard that term the fudge yeah to make it look like it's yeah is that when you look like you're turning to alter your line slightly is it that yeah. so you can imagine um looking up at the show yeah the jet when you're passing down the line so left to right right to left the jet which is further away is is higher oh, yeah. than the one closer to you because you're looking up through that sight line so like that if you like you can yeah. see it on the camera. So seven would be here and six would be here. So if they were the same altitude or height, it would look like the one further away was lower. Right. <laughs> so that, that optical illusion is made by seven. It is clever. So in my year, I was the one further away from six. So I was looking through six to the crowd. So I'm kind of flying six through, 
if you can imagine a VIP tent, I'm kind of flying sixes jet through my eye line to the VIP tent. So they're going to see the same as me. So they would look, for them, it would look like an optical illusion. If I was slightly higher or lower, then the fudge wouldn't be made. I, so, I love the way you just say that, you know, like what speed are you going at that point when you're just... So, so quite fast. Yeah. <laughs> I've just been watching some of it before we came on and I'm like... <laughs> That bit still it's gets the, me every time. That the synchro yeah. pair. It's, an, it's enough. Absolutely. Yeah. Enough. So, um, so down the line, I think it was something like 360, 330, 360, depending on the maneuver. So closing speed, yeah. seven twenty knots. You know, but you talking about it now. Yeah. You know, it sounds it sounds unbelievable. Yeah. But when you do it day in, day out, yeah. day in, day out, day in, yeah. day out, you come very, you come very used to it. Which is why I think yeah. it's a good three three years on the team is enough because you get that, very used you get very used to it being very dynamic. Yeah. But that manoeuvre over land you've just described when you've got runways and things to look at over sea when you're doing a, one of your you know beachside displays your yeah. references really aren't there are they your ground references? No, it's quite that's probably the most challenging sites, Robert. If I'm honest with you, it's um, over the sea with with without. M- without much surface pattern, so without waves or anything like that. So um, you're, you're, there's no radio altimeter, so you're just relying on the, alti- the gate height over the top of a loop or a roll to, to make make the, 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 the bottom height, if you like. So, yeah, it can be, especially with no horizon, slightly hazy, it can be quite challenging. Mm. And if you can imagine now, Lyme Regis is, I think, one of them where it's a cliff site, so... The people watching the show are above the jets, so they're looking. They're looking down at the jets. So, so the fudge now becomes cliff fudge. So the the roles are reversed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the one further away is lower. So, it be, and then you've got half fudge, half cliff fudge, double fudge, no fudge. <laughs> We like a lot of fudge. If you like fudge, it's great. <laughs> we, we've actually I'm, had I'm, a. I'm, I'm sorry, Jim. I've got so many questions I can no, ask. No, I'm, I'm conscious that you probably got better things to do. But <laughs> this is a kind of dull question. But how relevant now are the Reds in terms of UK PLT? How much, what's their future? Uh, and you know we love them. Everybody loves the Reds. But are they? Do they have a future? Can we keep them going? Are they going to be allowed to keep flying? What will happen after the after the Hawks go? Yeah, I mean, the Hawk. It's a good question, Hawk. So um, for me, leaving in two thousand and four, we thought the Hawk was going to end in two thousand and ten. So gosh, it shows you how much. So I think the the plan now is two thousand and thirty two. Something like that. So I think I think they've kind of kicked kicked it into the long grass. The 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 will the will to keep the team will always be there. The national a national icon, hugely respected, uh, representing the country. You know when you when you you know when you put on that red suit, it's like put on a national a national shirt. You know it's just huge, <laughs> um, big responsibility. And the, the team collectively re- represents the Royal Air Force. But when you go abroad, um, it is big for, for, for British industry. When we went to when we went to Langkawi, um, 
there was a lot of industry guys came to Scampton um, from 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 British Aerospace, Rolls Royce and Cobham. They came down to brief us about what they had been doing in all the countries they were in for years. And you're talking billions, billions, yeah. billions. And um, we displayed in Bahrain in front of the Crown Prince. I think they bought six Hawks on the back of that. Uh, we displayed in Saudi. We displayed in India, uh, a place called Hinden. It was, um, again, the Indian display team. They were looking to buy Hawks. I'm not, you probably know this, but I'm not, I think they did buy Hawks. I'm not sure, but they were trying to sell Hawks to the Indians. Again, massive. That was on three channels, I think, live in India and Pakistan. Millions watched it. It's, it's just a massive footprint, the red. So, the, the industry team w will be in these countries for, for years and w we'd arrive and kind of fly the British flag to show this is what you can get. You know, it's, um, this is the kit, you, you know, and what it can do. So if it's no longer a British built aircraft, I mean, I, I can't see that there is anything to follow the Hawk, then that role becomes obsolete for the Reds, doesn't it? Very difficult, Rob. Yeah, because the, the Hawk as it stands now, the T1 model is, um, is perfect for it. It's got, very simple um there's no fly-by-wire computers um engineering wise it just works uh, loads of power it's a fantastic platform but it has a life what are they going to do I, I don't know the answer to that i really don't I, I'm, I'm not sure whether they'll uh use the new hawk um modified in some way but it's a relevant question what are they going to do and to the answer to which i don't know and uh, it'll be interesting to see but what a shame it would be if the team were no more because, the, the, you know, it's such a British icon. It's something we do really, really well. Um, you know, wherever you go in the world, you know, if I'm in Sainsbury's, you, know, you wouldn't know who I am, but you put on a... It's not <laughs> Anywhere not in the world, yeah. Sainsbury's. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Any Sainsbury's in the world. Yeah. Other, other shops are available. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Podcast. We're hoping to get sponsorship from Sainsbury's now. So. <laughs> there you go. I have one more uh, question, and then I promise I'll shut up. Possibly. No, no, it's fine. Um, when you've been a red, what is the attitude from your regular squadron? Do they regard you as a bit of a show pony, <laughs> or do they have the utmost of respect for you? What do they think of you guys? I think, I think you're always going to get some form of banter. I think that's probably healthy and normal i think you know for for what 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 you did um i think the guys coming out of the team there are there are no e you know i'll, I'll probably get shot down in flames this but there's, there's, there are no e there are no egos nobody's got an ego coming off the team you are um very aware and honest uh, of your limitations and everyone can see those exposed when they happen and you can't lie, you can't hide. So um, that's one one of my fond memories of the team is, you know, you join a very well-oiled machine with years of history and the guys who are John with display pilots, very, very experienced guys, but they listen to you and they encourage and help. And so I think the the guys who used to fly on the squad is probably a healthy kind of respect, but it's not for everybody, the Reds, but I think yeah. people who have done it, they probably you know, doff your cap. The, 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 the reality check for me, you know, you're talking about Sainsbury's and just going around doing your shopping, which is no big deal, and parking your car and like an autopilot, you know. Um, the reality check for me was um, 
when the guys would come from the squadron I'd been through training with or I knew on the front line, anybody would come to Scampton to visit, you know, for the day at, at the Reds and that you'd fly with them and they'd be, and you'd be certainly a synchro, you know, it's quite dynamic. And I'd be going through the motions as if, it, you know, you just, you just know the show very well and you know what's coming up. But, you know, they'd be really excited in the back seat because you know, <laughs> they'd be seeing things they'd never seen before in an aeroplane. And for you, it's like, no big deal. I mean, it's quite hard, but it's no like it's like nothing unusual. You yeah. kind of get used to it. You have a tolerance to it. Um, but that was the reality check for me when guys you'd know when you've gone through training with and respect that they'd come and fly with, and you think, "Oh my god, that was just amazing! How did you do that?" And like, and you're yeah. and you're and you're getting like slammed in the debris because it wasn't a good show. But they they won't see the mistakes, you know. Yes. Like you're like two foot wide, you know. Yeah. It's like small errors. You, you know the errors coming. Sometimes you just can feel it. You know, and everyone knows in the seat. You know, you were two foot wide and the diamond bend. You know, I know I was. And I don't know why, but you have to kind of um, you have to be honest, and um, that's what it teaches you. I think to be honest. But the other thing about the reds for me, just as a per- the flying was cool, but you got to you got to meet a lot of people who are disadvantaged in life. A lot of people who had nothing, nothing at all, and. Um, by spending five minutes signing an autograph or picture or whatever, that that for them was a big thing, and that that was the gift that I take from the Reds was the ability to um, make someone's day by uh, just having a photograph or something like that, which you do yeah. millions of times in the season. But for some, it means a lot, you know, because they they don't have much in life, and that that was a privilege to be able to do that. That's it. Really good. Well done. We we had a question uh, from one listener. Uh, Mick Horsley uh, asked, very excited, uh, is a tour, I thought it was a good question actually, uh, is a tour on the Arrows career enhance, uh, sorry, is a tour on the Arrows career enhancing or does it tend to remove individuals from the staff officer path toward the specialist aircrew path? If that still exists, oh, link to that. Controversial. Link to that. Do the benefits of the skills learnt or honed on the team outweigh any loss of operational skills? Mick Horsley. Good question. Good question, Nick Horsley. Good question. Mick, um, Mick. So for me, so for me personally, it probably hindered my career because of my age. Because James and I went through a time when. We held, I mean, I held, I know how long you held for James, but I held for three years. What, so, what does that mean? In, in all, this? it was about three years. What is yeah. this holding thing? So be- between flying courses, so um, I went through, I flew the Chipmunk, then I went to fly the Takano, then I flew the Hawk at Valley, and then from there you go to the front line to fly the Operation Aeroplane, in my case with the Harrier. Now that end-to-end process should take about three and a half years from start to finish. For me, it took six years because of base closures um, in the RAF, which constrained the throughput of the training program. So between flying a Takano and flying a Hawk, it was two years. Right, right. So that 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 cost me personally, uh, just through it's just circumstances. Nothing, you know, nobody's fault. It's just how it was. Um, I wasn't the only one. There was hundreds. Yeah. Um, that that cost me a tour of experience. Um, so by the time I came out of the Reds, to, to kind of make the staff um, uh, kind of college entry age, I think there was one, I was right on the line, you know, to, to make 
to make the, the further progression up the staff chain. Now, that's not to say it was preventative because uh, there's a chap called um, Gary Waterfall who became uh, an Air Vice Marshal, um, and he was on the Reds. Um, but um, I think he probably started flying earlier than I did in, you know, in, in age and probably had more tours before he went to the Reds which allowed him the headroom in his in his life to to make to make that level. But I think it, it's not seen as a career move in the RAF. I right. think it's probably probably the honest way to because even though I was promoted on the team to from flat lieutenant to squadron leader, I was in charge of nothing. You know, I was I wasn't leading anybody. I was yeah. leading myself, <laughs> really. Yeah. But to, to to be promoted in the RAF, you have to be demonstrate leadership. So, when I came out of the um, the Red Arrows as a squadron leader, I did a ground tour, um, which was my staff tour lead, if you like, as a yeah. squadron leader, which got me points on the board. I would have to then do a flying tour as a squadron leader, and if I got enough points, I'd be promoted to wing commander, and then away you go. But I don't think I was going to get the points. I just I was going to run out of room, um, and there were guys coming up in the wings who were far younger than I was, more experienced. They'd done exchanges on F-digit airplanes, and they're now you know they're now up and away and base commanders and good on them, you know. But yeah. for me, I kind of I kind of saw my limitations, and I thought, well, you know, I've had a good run. I've flown the Harrier, was in the Reds. I've had a great, I had a great staff tour. You know, I, I didn't fly for 18 months, but I was in the, the Naval headquarters because I've flown off um, carriers in the Harrier, you know, so I'd, so I was embedded in the Naval headquarters and I had a great, great, fantastic yeah. uh, year and a half there. It was really interesting working on uh, uh, the new carrier, uh, Queen Elizabeth and uh, the Prince of Wales. And it wasn't cut, you know, the steel hadn't been cut then. It was all still a decision. But to see it uh, operation now with F-35s, got involved with the F-35, you know, it's just incredible, you know. But um, it, through life, it wasn't for me personally. I think yeah. I've reached the limit of my ability. Um, and the, the regret and of not not flying a Puma must have hurt a lot. <laughs> that was going to be my next <laughs> question. <laughs> so once, I'm pretty sure I saw the Puma roll demo somewhere. Yeah. I'm, I'm yes. pretty sure. Yes. Was probably was better you? than the Reds. A lot of people said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm not sure it was as good as the Chinook, though, James. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. <laughs> just like no, the you're in exactly the right place. Chinook, Chinook Puma, I just I can't. I can't. <laughs> Brilliant. Good display there, Chinook James. Good display. Yeah. It's a good display. Yep. Just don't tell me how much it can lift. So, anyway, thanks. Um, it's time for you to go now, I think. Uh, so <laughs> can I, can no, I just ask? Thank you very much indeed. Oh, no, sorry. Yes, no. Can I just, uh, two things. First of all, can we get you back to talk about the Harrier at, in Series 2? Yeah, sure. Because I'd like, yeah, yeah. uh, also, my son is obsessed with the Red Arrows. I've actually owned, he owns two different red arrow flight suits because every year when we've gone to see them he's got bigger so he always uh, <laughs> uh cons me into buying another one what advice would you give to any kid out there who wants to be a red arrows pilot my advice is never give up yeah. because to be a red arrows pilot you've got to go through quite a few hoops yeah. before that 
Um, so A, get in the RAF. A, get through school with yeah. what you need. And uh, and all of the, you know, and James will probably echo this, is there's a lot of pitfalls on the way to being a Red Arrows pilot. Yeah. Um, so if that's what they want to do is never, never go up. So I was, I went for a sixth form scholarship, didn't get it. Went to join the Air Force as a direct entrance, didn't get in. I got in my third go from from the Air Force. Um, so I thought, I, I can't, I know I can do this. I just need to get in. Yeah. Um, that's the first problem. And then once you're in, you know, it's just like you have knockbacks. I, I had problems, you know, flying. I had the odd bump in the road, as everyone does. Even on that, you know, the Harrier had a, a bump in the road. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's not the bump in the road. It's how you deal with the bump in the road. It's like you're getting up again after the knockback because there are knockbacks in flying. Yeah. I, there's nobody who's flying an airplane who's never had a knockback. It's just, yeah. this yeah. doesn't happen. You think um, the fast jet course was probably James's biggest knockback to not being a rare? <laughs> it certainly pre- sort of put it on hold for a bit. I'll certainly give it that, yeah. Well, you hang in there, mate. It's not over. You've got 10 more years. <laughs> uh, that question was for James. <laughs> <laughs> Never give up. Never give up. <laughs> I, I'm still hoping to play centre forward for Newcastle United with a number nine shirt on, but <laughs> the, the phone's not ringing. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. Well, Dave, thank you very much indeed. That really was enlightening. It was fascinating. Uh, and I say we, we can't wait to have you back to talk about other bit, other aspects uh, of your career. Um, so thanks very much. Uh, look forward to speaking to you again. And, um, yeah, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thanks. Cheers, Dave. Thank you. Thanks, guys. What a fantastic story. And what a life Dave Thomas has had. Our huge thanks to him. And so many more questions I wish I'd asked. We'll just have to get him back again. So thanks, Dave. And thanks to all of you for listening and for your comments and recommendations. Our next pod will feature the Hawker Hunter, and in particular, the role it played in one of the most audacious aviation stunts ever undertaken. Our very special guest will be Alan Pollock, who, as flight lieutenant in the RAF back in 1968, flew his Hunter through Tower Bridge. He had also buzzed the Houses of Parliament in protest at defence cuts, even though he knew this would mark the end of his RAF career. He's an incredible character, as you might imagine, and we're delighted that he was kind enough to tell his extraordinary story to us here on Top Landing Gear. Remember, you can still hear all our earlier podcasts on Concord, The Spitfire and Amy Johnson, as well as their respective Full Flaps interviews with Adventure Pilot Amanda J. Harrison, Spitfire Pilot Jim Schofield and Concord Captain John Hutchinson. And the Great British Air Show podcast with George Smokey Bacon, who put together the brilliant Airability Armchair Air Show, which you can still watch on YouTube. And do let us know anything or anyone you'd like us to feature and we'll try and make it happen. Remember, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Top Landing Gear. And you can also contact us on email with your questions for our expert, James Cartner. Please do. He hasn't had very many. It's info at Top Landing Gear 2Gs. And however you're listening to us, please do leave a review, especially if you've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. There we go, Dave. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, I am so excited. Let's record it now, then, shall we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
Thank you. 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 Thank you.